join me here, if you would, in the book of Revelation chapter 4. And we'd like to spend a little time in the last three verses of this chapter. The last three verses of this chapter. As we find the Lord has been uh, privileged to share with John. And John was privileged to hear and to write this great message of the glory of God in the heavens. And what he got to see, others had wished to see, and what he got to see, others had seen but could not write about. But he allows us, God allows us through John, to see into the portals of glory the same truths that we read about from Genesis 1-1 through the entire word of God that the Lord is high and lifted up. The Lord is the Lord of glory. The Lord is the Lord God Almighty. And his name is Jesus, and we know him as Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, uh, here in this uh, passage of Scripture, I'd like to read the last three verses, but before we do, keep your finger right there and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to read one verse of scripture here, or two, in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses, and a word is used in this passage of scripture with regard to Moses in the Old Testament that we find continuously through the New Testament, and particularly here in the book of Revelation, and that is this word Christ. Now notice these words in Hebrews chapter 11. And it tells us here, uh, with regard to Moses, verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Moses, when he had come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now we know the account in the book of Exodus about Moses, and that he was hidden in the bulrushes, and, and how God provided him a place, and provided him a nurse, happened to be his mama. And uh, he grew up as... Pharaoh's son, as Pharaoh, or grandson, as Pharaoh's daughter's uh, son. And then it tells us here in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now notice verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Moses, he was esteeming the reproach of Christ. Now, Moses had a Savior, and his title is the Anointed One, is Christ. And he brought glory to Christ and praised Christ, and he was esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he had respect upon the recompense of the reward. Now, I was blessed with that verse of Scripture while I was gone. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. I'd never tied, I knew it. And it's so true throughout the Scriptures, but to have a verse that just says that so plain, esteeming the reproach of Christ. He was, he knew and understood what it was about, that Christ was of more value than the world. Now, we're going to see that as we go through the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have noticed in here, and 
It may not be the interpretation, but I look at it as a wonderful application that these four living creatures share with us the great things about the gospel. That when we go through the gospel, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in every step of those books, in every verse of the gospel that we read, it is glorifying to the Lord. There is no detractors even in the detractors. There is no way that even those who did not honor God were not honoring God. They were used for the glory of God. God hath made all things, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. And so even the detractors were not the detractors. Even the one that betrayed him, it is said, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. So here, these four living beings, four living creatures, and there's nothing as alive as the gospel when it strikes you. Now we, we think it's a worn out story until we're quickened by the Holy Spirit. We can have all kinds of thoughts about the gospel until we're quickened by the Holy Spirit. And that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it's declared in the word of God, and particularly in the four gospels, is heartwarming and God-glorifying, and the church bows before it and says, this is the message of my Savior. We read it with delight. And we do not try to alter it. We try to agree with it. And when we find ourselves not, we say, Lord, help me to agree with it. We're not trying to find fault with it. Now here, read with me in verse 9. Now, to me, the most important word in this verse is when. Notice this. And when... The four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Now, when does the Gospels give glory and honor and praise unto the Lord? 100% of the time. Whenever the Gospel is read, it is giving glory to God. Whenever it is thought about, it is giving glory to God. When it's preached, it's giving glory to God. It is based upon the glory of God. So when these four living creatures representing the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and splendor and giving up the glory that he had with the Father before the world was, coming down to the sin-cursed earth, when it is declared... This is what happens to the four and twenty elders. Notice with me in verse 10. The four and twenty elders. Now these four and twenty elders represent the church throughout all ages. From the first one that God wrapped in his grace to the last one God calls out of this world to his grace. This four and twenty elders represent them from beginning to end. We can call them the Old Testament believers. We can call them the New Testament believers. But in their compact, they are the church of the living God out of every age, 
out of every kindred, out of every people, out of every tongue. And when the gospel is declared, as it says there in verse 9, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy. Now, there is a principle here. The gospel speaks to the church first. Then the church responds in kind. The gospel declares Christ in all his glory. He knows who he came for. He knows who he died for. And as the song says, he knew who it was finished for. And when the gospel declares that in the ears of the church, they fall down and worship. We worship before this God who finished his work. We worship before this God who finished salvation. We wor worship before this God who has purposed to give himself a ransom for many and has also purposed to come back for everyone that he died for and cause them to sit down with him in his kingdom throughout eternity. Now, it says here that they, the four and twenty elders, when the four living creatures, when they said this, the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped. Now, this is their song. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Now, we don't find in there, Thou art worthy, O Jesus. Now, could have, but it would have been Lord Jesus. It doesn't say in here, Thou art worthy, O Christ. But if it did, it would say, Thou art worthy, O Lord Jesus Christ. This is Lord to receive glory and honor and power. The most powerful impression that God places upon the church of the living God is that he is Lord. That comes before Savior. That comes before High Priest. That comes before King. That comes before Prophet. Before we ever see those glorious truths about our Lord, we recognize him as our Lord. He is number one, predominant. He is in all things that he might have the preeminence. And that's what the church is saying here. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And that's the song that the church sings about God when they hear the gospel. They hear it and they respond in kind. We hear it, and we respond in kind. Now, this, this gospel that we find in the Scripture, that the gospel speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And you read the old writers, it's a miracle. It's not something that we contrive. It's not something we make up. It's not something that we invent. It is a miracle of God's grace. And God quickens his people through the preaching of the gospel. And when that happens, there is a response. And it is, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. Now, 
This principle is often found in the scripture, and it's exemplified. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. This principle is found throughout the scriptures. We find it right here in 1 John chapter 4, but this is not the first, and it's not the last. But it is one of many times that we find this principle found in the scripture. This principle is that we, ha- we do nothing and we have nothing spiritually that we cannot trace right back to Christ. He is the headwater for all spiritual blessings. He is the headwater for all spiritual praise. And not only that, he's the headwater for all physical blessings. He's the headwater for all spiritual blessings. Now notice this. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. It says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. That's an interesting verse of scripture. He that knoweth God. Now what is John doing? Preaching the gospel. He that knoweth God heareth us. What's he saying? He that knoweth God knoweth the gospel. And it's not this this uh, synthetic gospel. It's the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, a Savior that saves and not trying to save, a Redeemer that redeems and not trying to redeem. He is, a, he is one that does what he says he will do. Now he goes on to share with us here uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and God knoweth. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this we, uh, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And send his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, there's a lot going on here about the love of God and God's people loving God. God's love for his people and God's people's love for God. Now, let's never skip verse 19. That's the principle that we find throughout the scriptures. And that's the principle we find here in Revelation chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. When the gospel is declared about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, it promotes the church to give glory to God. It is not something that we think about. It is just something we do. 
Because God is working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is not conscious. It is given to us. It is created in us. Now notice here, this is the verse we want. We're not going to get all of the rest of it without this. We love him. Amen. Everybody says we love him. What? Because he first loved us. Now that's the principle. And we're going to find that principle throughout all the scriptures. That whatever we're given, God gave it to us. Whatever spiritual blessing we're enjoying, God gave it to us. Whatever love we might have for God, God gave it to us. Whatever hope we have in God, God gave it to us. And that principle is decreed, and that principle is drawn out, and that principle is laid down throughout all the scriptures. And that principle is brought out here in Revelation chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11, when the glory is given in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church falls down and worships God. It is not something we plan on doing. I think I'm going to worship God today. No. It's something we do in our innermost being because he has created a new creation to worship him and the song goes out from our soul worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Now, in verse 9, the most important word there is when, to me. <laughs> and it's always going on. But in verse 11, the most important thing the church can ever say is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. And that's not some sniveling little Lord over there in England that has a 10 acres and a horse. That's God Almighty. Lord, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel gives all the glory to God in all things. Nothing is left to chance or Adam's children. I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> Nothing is left to Adam's children. We, uh, it doesn't take us very long in reading the scriptures to find out that the term that the uh, old fathers of the church used, total depravity, is absolutely true. It, it's just in our heart and in our core. We are stony hearts. <laughs> I want to thank those who filled in for me. Stone, we're stony hearts. We have not a heart to worship God. We couldn't if we wanted to. We're enmity with God. We're at variance with him. We're born with our fist curled just like this and is headed for God. And we're saying in our heart, we're saying with our lips, I love Jesus, and with our heart, I will not have this man rule over me. And now, oh, the glorious gospel. God sends his army. God sends his spirit. The hound of heaven. I like one old father. He said that. The hound of heaven is turned loose. And he's got uh, olfactory glands that have sheep in them. And he's going to find every lost sheep. <laughs> 
because he knows they're sent. And he's come down to find them. And the gospel is declared. And the gospel always declares the Lord. Always declared victory. Always declares honor in God. Never despair. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the food of the church. And you know what? It causes our knees to bend. <laughs> oh, worthy, worthy is the Lord. Now notice with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is sharing what was given to him. And it shares with us here about the gospel. Now, I have not come to the conclusion of what it means. And we're, doing, we're studying that. We're trying to bring it out. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We've gone through Genesis. We skimmed the tops. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings, the minor prophets and many of the major prophets, the New Testament books. And what we're doing is we're finding Christ in the scriptures as the glory of God in the gospel. And every time we do, it causes our knees to bow and worship God more than we've ever worshipped him before. And the next day it's the same. Because what we worship God today will not carry over to tomorrow. He bows us again and causes us to say, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lord, worthy is God. And it is be as a result of the gospel being preached and taught to us in our heart. Oh, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice here. Moreover, brethren. Verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel. Paul said that in every message. Now he may not have used those words. But in every message he ever preached. He did not stop until he had declared the whole counsel of God. The first message he ever preached, he's preaching about divine uh, election. God is the God that has chosen the people, and he understood clearly that if he hadn't, he wouldn't. <laughs> he knew the necessity of God interfering in his life. He was, uh, he was so self-righteous and so religious, and he could not turn to God. Now, preached unto you also that you've received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. You can't share what you don't know. And you can't share what you haven't received. But once you've received it, you can never share anything else. You never find the Apostle Paul ever preaching the law again. Never preaching Judaism again. Never preaching what he had preached before. He's always preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. From then on, he never went back. He uses it as an example of stony hearts. He uses it as an example of, of uh, the lack of love for God. But he never went back and he never used those old messages. Now... And that one thing, Paul and I are like. When the Lord saved me, I grabbed all those messages I had recorded in books and hauled them to the dump. I think two or three survived, and I wonder why I kept them. 
Because if you don't have any light, you might as well not even turn on the flashlight. It, it's, a, it's a cumbrance to have a flashlight that doesn't work. So I throw them all away. Now, I want something new, Lord. And you know what he showed me? Christ. In every page, in every chapter, in every book. And that's what he causes us to bow our knees over. He says here, he was... I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And I've just not come to the conclusion of that yet. There's, there's some more scriptures to go to. And the more we read, and the more we speak from, the more we see that it's there in greater depth than we ever thought. You know, for years and years and years and years, they thought Crater Lake was a bottomless lake. They just did not have the ability of measuring the depth. Now we know exactly how deep it is in its deepest place, almost 2,000 feet. But you know, we, have, we will never get to the depths of what it means to launch out into the deep. We'll never get to the end of it. The scriptures are just that way. We'll never learn it all. Now, it goes on to say here, and that he was buried. Now, that's an interesting statement about his humanity. God come in the flesh. He was buried. And God's going to show us through that burial the greatness of his sacrifice and the greatness of the acceptance of that sacrifice. Because if he did not take care of all of the sin, of all the people he intended to take care of, he would not have come out of that tomb. He'd still be there. And the Arabs would be right. And the pagans would be right. And the atheists would be right. But... Goes on to say there, he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation declare that truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth about Christ. It is from cover to cover. And when God's people hear it, when it comes to them in the power of the Holy Spirit, when it's revealed to them, they have one option. God's people do not argue with God on this. God's people do not try to take an inch from God on this. They try, do not try to, they don't tell God the answer to it. God is the answer to it. Christ is the answer to it. And so it causes every sheep in every pasture, in every place that they've ever been called out of to agree on this. When the gospel speaks, we will bow. Just like it says here in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11. When the gospel speaks, the church bows, and we get one of the greatest songs ever written in all the scripture about the Lord. And everything was created by him and for him.
Now, we will agree that he created the heavens and the earth. But oh, the discussion that goes on, what he does spiritually. But the church has always known what he did spiritually. He caused a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's a person that had never, ever had life before. And that's the person within every lost sheep. He does not ever, has never, and never will promote evolution by making goats into sheep. But he will always find his lost sheep. That Holy Spirit's olfactory, the nose of God is serious. And he can track down every lost sheep. It doesn't matter if they've gone through acres of water. He's still going to find them, and he will bring them the gospel, and they will believe the gospel, and they will be humbled before God and say, Worthy, O Lord. It's the words that Paul used on the road to Damascus. Now the gospel gives all the glory to God and strikes a chord in the hearts of all of God's people. It's such a clear sound. So clear. It's just a <clears throat> ping. I wish I could sing. I've been around people that they just, they can tell you when a piano's out of tune. I can't. I don't know when it's out of tune until it's so bad, you know. <laughs> such a, people have such a clear understanding of the vibration. But this I do know, the vibration that comes out of the gospel, if it's not there, you just want to throw up. All right, back to the book of Revelation. Would you turn there for me just a moment? The four and twenty elders, oh my, the church, their response, you can count on it. You can count on it. And it doesn't matter which nationality. It doesn't matter which creed. It doesn't matter which religion. It doesn't matter what male or female, bond or free. It doesn't matter. When God works a work of grace, here's the results. The four and twenty elders fell down and wanted to. They wanted to bow. They wanted to bow before the Lord. They recognized him as the only reason for their existence. They recognized him as the only giver of life. They recognized him as the only creator. They recognized him as the, their only creator. They Have you ever breathed ammonia? <laughs> you can't breathe it. <laughs> you have no capacity. to. You just bring it in and there's no. Oh, that's, that's harsh. That's harsh. That's terrible. That's terrible. We're so dependent upon air. That's just the way it is on God's people with God. We're dependent upon him. And you ever get a whiff of ammonia religion? It'll take your breath away. You're sick. Oh, this is so sweet to breathe the clean air of God. This, the church does not argue with God. The church does not question God's word. Now, we may ask questions. Sometimes some of our best research in the Word of God is asking questions about it. 
Now, what does that mean? Why, why are these two words put together? Why is this word the only word that's ever used in this capacity in this place in all the Bible? And then uh, an answer to that is the word used for word in John 1, logos. Very significant, very significant. Or the word that Jesus used for love and the word that, that Peter used for love. They weren't even the same word. Peter's just showing us an example. We can't speak the language on our own. We just don't, we can't form the words. It was down there in Mississippi and we we're walking along and Nancy brought up that word, Sibboleth, Shibboleth. And uh, we're talking about that and I just had to say something. I says, in today's world, people try to say grace and it comes out gorks. <laughs> they just can't form the word, you know. Gorks. I'm trying. I'm really trying to say grace, but it comes out gorks, and that's a mixture of grace and works. You know, it, it, you just can't form. You can't form the word unless it's in your heart. And all the time, it turns out to be gorks until there's a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we can say grace for the first time and know what it means. The church hears the word and worships. Nobody's worth a salt unless he ascribes all the glory to God. And that's what the gospel does. Now, Turn with me back over to the book of the Psalms, Psalm 115. <laughs> the church is a conformist. Did you know that? We are conformed to the image of God. We are conformists. God says it, and we conform to it. We don't disagree and we don't argue and we don't fuss. There's no orders ever given by God that any of his people have ever argued with. Now, we may, our boss may give us some words sometimes that we just don't want to do. But the Lord never. My sheep hear my voice. And there's a wonderful response with my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. That's a wonderful response. Now, it's not our response. It's his response in us. Now, notice here in Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Isn't that interesting? The church says, don't give us any glory. We know where we came from. We're just dirt. <clears throat> We're just worms. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us. But unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Don't. We are not worth anything. 
We know where we came from. We know our birth. But Lord, unto you give glory. And you know what happens? When the Lord gives glory to the Lord, you know what happens to the church? They give glory to the Lord. When the Lord gives glory to the Lord, that's the gospel. Gospel is all about giving glory to the God, giving glory to God. The whole that's the gospel scheme. Give glory to God. God giving glory to God. God honoring God. God praising God. And you know what happens to the church when that happens? Right here. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And we could have just as easily added this last word, amen. You created me for you. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus for you. That's the only reason. Not unto me, Lord, not unto me, but unto thee, Lord. Give glory and honor and praise. And what does the church do? Worthy is the Lamb. It's just, boy, God gives glory to God, and the church says, I agree with that. That's our job. That's our only job, giving glory to the Lord. And when he is honored, the church gives glory to God. When he is preached, the church gives glory to God. When he is held up, the church gives glory to God. And when God gives glory to God, the church says, I give glory to God. The church is a conformist. They conform to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. We have no problem with ruined by the fall. We have no problem redeemed by Christ. And we have no problem with regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then we say, as these saints have said, Thou art worthy, O Lord.